So we're going through the book of Galatians, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And tonight we're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 as we're continuing with Paul's defense of his apostleship and his message as these false teachers crept into the church and they began teaching heresy, adding works to the gospel and saying, yeah, you guys believe the message of the gospel, but there's actually more you need to do. And then they began cutting down Paul, trying to discredit his message by discrediting his, um, you know, him being a messenger. And so in chapters one and two, Paul really confirms the fact that he was called to be an apostle by Jesus Christ alone. And he didn't receive his message from any man, but from God. And now this evening in our passage, we're going to look at even the apostles in Jerusalem confirmed Paul's message and his ministry to, to back up. And so basically Paul says, nanny, nanny, um, they got my back kind of thing. And so uh, we're going to uh, focus on that. So let's pray and let's uh, see what the Lord has for us. Lord, I just, Lord, I'm just reminded of that passage in Psalm 2 when we, you know, praying for the folks in there in the UK, Lord, of just how the, the nations rage, Lord, and the people plot a vain thing and the kings of the earth, Lord, take counsel and the rulers against the Lord and against his anointed, Lord. But yet we know that you will stand, Lord, and you're coming back. Lord, you're going to establish your kingdom on this earth and You'll rule and reign, Lord, and we'll rule and reign with you by our faith alone in you, Lord, by your grace alone. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you're on the throne, Lord, regardless of what's going on around us in the world, Lord, what's going on around us physically, maybe with our own health, Lord. Lord, but we thank you that your spirit loves us, Lord, and you want to equip us and mature us in our most holy faith so we can go out, Lord, and and preach the gospel, Lord, in these last days. And so, we, Lord, we pray that you continue that work tonight as we go through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you had to describe the church of Jesus Christ in just a few words, how would you describe it? I mean, there's a number of ways. And thinking about this text before us tonight, I think we can say it is diversity and unity. You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4-6, said this concerning believers and their gifts and their callings. He said, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all and in all. And so Paul talks about gifts and how the Lord you know, gives gifts to different believers. And you know, believers have different personalities. But, you know, Paul says, hey, God is able to use all these guys in different ways you know, for different purposes. Then later, Paul goes on in that same chapter in verses 12 to 14 and says this. For as the body is one member and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So there's a diversity in the body of Christ, yet we're all one, we're all united in Jesus. And so really the church of Jesus Christ is amazing because God, he takes people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, and he saves them by his grace alone, by, his, you know, by our faith alone. And then he places us all into one big family. You know, I just look at Jesus' disciples and they give us a great illustration of that. Think of, you know, Matthew, the tax collector, the sellout to Rome. But then the Lord also saves a man by the name of Simon the Zealot, who was a, who was a hater of anybody who sold out to Rome. He hated Rome, and so, but yet the Lord saves these two men, and he places them together in his 12 and says, hey, guys, love each other. 
and represent me to the world. By, by this, by your love, all men will know that you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. So that's what God does. He takes people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, and he sticks us into one family for one great purpose. And that great purpose is that we would go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 20. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Making disciples includes preaching the gospel of grace, but also edifying and equipping believers so they can go back out and do the work. Now, I point out these characteristics of the church being diverse but yet one because this is what God was teaching the early church in the first century. You see, God was doing something new in the church, and we see them learning this throughout the book of Acts. You see, God was saving both Jew and Gentile now by his gospel, and he was placing them all into one body, and they were discovering how they were to operate as one body. Now, as we'll see, those believers who had the right mindset, they were able to be effective in the body of Christ. They were able to continue to press forward and minister. But those who had the wrong mindset, who began to embrace this false gospel of the Judaizers, they were actually hindering and causing division in the work. Now, you and I, we want to be effective, right, in the kingdom of God and in, in, in establishing what the Lord wants to do in the, in the lives of people and as we preach the gospel. And so in the same way, you and I, we need to understand the principles that Paul lays out for us here in this text. And really, we can pull out two principles from this text. Number one, we see that the basis of unity must be the gospel of grace. And number two, the basis of diversity in ministry must be the leading and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so first, in verses 1 through 6, we see that the basis of unity of the church must be the gospel of grace. You see, last week we left off with Paul still in Tarsus of Cilicia. Paul kind of gave us his first three years of his ministry there as he got saved. He said that he began to minister with the saints there in Syria, and then the Lord brought him out to the area of Arabia, which was really the outskirts of Syria as he ministered there, and then people wanted to kill him. And so he went and ended up going to Jerusalem, and he began preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. And then people wanted to kill him in Jerusalem. And so finally the Lord brought him up to the area of Tarsus, his hometown. And there for a number of years, Paul, just nothing we know about his life. No doubt he was preaching the gospel and doing ministry, working as a tent maker. But God had Paul there that whole time. Some believe it might have been like some 11 years of just him there learning what it is to be a man of God and to walk in God's grace. And I think it's great in terms of how God makes a man, a, a man of God, a, a messenger of grace. And as the Lord continues to equip you, often we think of Paul and he gets saved and automatically he goes into the mission field. He was, but the Lord was making him the man that he wanted him to be as he was patient and waiting on him. And so Paul is in Tarsus. And as we're going to see, God is, is going to start moving in Acts chapter 11. You see some believers get scattered, and they end up into the area of Antioch, which is um, modern-day um, Turkey over there, and they began preaching the gospel, and folks got saved, and they were getting plugged in, and so when the church in Jerusalem heard that, they actually sent Barnabas down to go and to encourage these new believers, these both Jews and Gentile believers. And so Barnabas went down and began encouraging them, and then when he got there, he said, hey, you know what? There's a guy named Saul, Paul. He's over in Tarsus. I'm going to go get him. So he went over and got Paul. And Paul came and joined the church of Antioch there. And there, the pastors, they kind of had like a teaching rotation. As Paul would teach, Barnabas would teach, and then the other um, teachers would teach as the saints were being equipped and, and edified. The church of Antioch was an amazing church as it focused on the word of God. That was really its foundation. But also the church of Antioch was great because it was a praying church. 
You see, God spoke to this church through its prayer meetings. At one time, they were praying there, and a prophet said, hey, there's a famine that's coming to Jerusalem. I want you guys to gather this offering and take it down to Jerusalem. And so they chose Paul and Barnabas to take this offering there in Acts chapter 11, um, actually up to the church of Jerusalem, um, there to the saints. At another prayer meeting, they were ministering to the Lord, and God said, hey, I want you guys to separate Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have them to do. And so they said, okay, Lord. So they prayed some more about it. They laid hands on these guys, and they sent them out for what's called the first missionary journey in Acts chapters 13 and 14. And it was on that missionary journey that the churches of Galatia, which we're reading about, was established. And so Paul ends up coming back from this missionary journey back to Antioch, his, his home church, and there he continues to equip the saints. Now, I point all this out because it was at Antioch when, fall, when Paul first had encounter with these Judaizers, these false teachers. Let me read to you Acts 15, verses 1 through 2. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And so certain Jewish men came down from Jerusalem, and they were claiming to have the authority of the apostles in the church in Jerusalem to preach this message to them. And this message was that the Gentiles... Though they received the gospel that Paul preached and, and that the church was, was teaching, they also needed to become full converts to Judaism. That would include for males, circumcision, baptism, and then keeping the Mosaic law. Paul, from the very beginning, had nothing to do with this. And he, you know, he really fervently defended the gospel to these guys. After much dispute, the church determined to send Paul and Barnabas and some other folks up to talk to the apostles in Jerusalem to say, hey, what's up? You know, um, to make sure they're all on the same page. Now, all this background is what is really the background of this passage here in Galatians chapter 2. You see, Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, is what Paul's talking about, I believe, in this passage here in, in the book of Galatians. And so Paul's going to give us insight and background into this trip that he took up to Jerusalem in order to talk to the apostles about his ministry and his message. So with that long introduction, now let's get into verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Now, it's important to point out, to be fair, that there are good scholars who are divided between whether this trip of Paul after 14 years is referring to Paul's second trip um, to um, Jerusalem in which he took the offering um, there in Acts 11 or whether this is actually referring to the Jerusalem trip in Acts 15 when he went for the council you know, there's some good arguments both ways, but I feel that Acts 15 probably best fits the context since the basis of this trip is really talking about Paul's message and his apostleship. And so it just seems like it fits the context better. Now, if this passage is referring to the Acts 15 text, then the 14 years is referring to 14 years after Paul's first visit with Peter that he referred to in, in chapter 1. And so some 14 years after Paul first hung out with Peter there, after he came back from Syria. Now, two men are specifically mentioned as going up with Paul to Jerusalem to address these apostles, and they were Barnabas and Titus. Now, I love it that these three men right here illustrate well the diversity that God has in the church. Just think about these three guys together. First of all, you got Paul, also known as Saul, which was his Jewish name. This guy was a former Pharisee, a legalist, but yet God saved him by his grace, and now he's an apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, you would think he would go to the Jews, but God says, no, Paul, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. 
And then you got Barnabas, who was also a Jew, but he was from the area of Cyprus, and so a little different culture than Paul grew up with. His real name was actually Joseph, but um, they called him Barnabas. It's kind of like his tag name or his nickname kind of thing. They called him this because he, was, because he had the gift of encouragement or the gift of exhortation. And so Barnabas had this ability, this gift from God to be able to come alongside of believers and encourage them in their faith, to be able to encourage them and strengthen them and to um, you know, encourage them in their walk. The other guy was Titus, who was a Gentile, a non-Jew, and he was born again through Paul's ministry. And then after he was born again, God called him to be a pastor teacher, and later he'll be sent to Crete to minister there, and Paul would later write a letter to him um, talking about the ministry there. And so you see, once again, while all these men are saved from different backgrounds, but yet the Lord has them all unified, operating under the gospel of grace. This was what their life was given over to, this, this gospel. And as a result, there was a great unity among them. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Acts 15.2 says that the church determined to send these men in Jerusalem, but Paul gives us actually some more insight here. He tells us the source of really why they went. The reason why they went is because God told them to go. You see, God spoke to Paul through a revelation, so it could have been through a dream or through prophecy, or it could have been through the church, as God did before. As they were spending time with the Lord, God spoke through one of the prophets through the word, and he said, hey guys, it's time to go up and address this issue, what's going on. Now, the purpose of their going up to Jerusalem was that they would all be on the same page. Paul went up there to communicate the gospel of grace that he was preaching, that Jesus told him to preach, and to make sure that they were all of one accord. Now, notice at the end of this verse, Paul says he addressed the whole church. Um, at the end of this verse, he says he addressed the whole church, but before that, he actually had a private meeting um, with this group of, of apostles. And so, so in Acts 15... We're told that he had a public meeting in which they talked about what he was preaching and teaching. But here he gives us a little more insight in that before that, they actually had a little private meeting. So as soon as they got to Jerusalem, rather than having all the believers there and Paul you know, ripping out his gospel and just you know, preaching, he actually met with the apostles who were told were Peter, James, and John, maybe some others, six, these six guys um, plus some others. They met and they began talking about uh, what Paul was teaching and what they also taught. In Jerusalem. Now, the reason why Paul did that is because he says, lest he had run or was running in vain. And so Paul didn't want to stumble any believers. He didn't want to hinder the work in any way. And I really see this as a sign of humility, that Paul was more concerned with the spiritual state of the believers than his own, you know, than him being right, basically. Paul knew he was right, obviously, because Jesus told him to preach that message. So he wasn't doubting his gospel. But he was concerned with the, with the state of the church and with the unity of the church. And so he met with these guys in private, and they discussed it. Now, these other three Jewish men give us some more good insight on, on the diversity of the body, James, Peter, and John. You see, James is actually the half-brother of Jesus, and he was an unbeliever during the life of Jesus. And we see that there in the Gospels as they didn't believe in their brother. They said, this guy is, is crazy. But after they saw Jesus risen again from the dead, James and Jude, who also wrote a book, they became believers in the Lord. And they became followers of Jesus. And James, would later, according to church history, would give his life for believing in Jesus and the resurrection. James was called, James was called to be a leader in the church of Jerusalem, um, one, of the, one of the big guys there. 
Also, we have Peter and John. These guys were both fishermen, both Jews. They were called to be disciples and apostles of Jesus. But yet, when you read their writings and their styles, they have different writings and styles. And so, once again, you see a little diversity between these guys. But yet, the Lord was using all these guys to, to preach his gospel. Verse 3, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because a false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield some submission for even an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me, God shows personal favoritism to no man, for those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. And so first Paul met in private with these guys, but as we see in Acts 15, he met in public with the church in which these Judaizers were there as well. Acts 15, 46 says this. It says, when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so after these guys shared together in their private meeting, they came out and there was these Judaizers and Paul began sharing what God was doing. And these guys rose up and said, hey, nope, this guy Titus, if he's going to be a believer, he needs to be under the law of Moses. And oh yeah, by the way, you guys need to go back and make sure everybody else is under the law of Moses in order to be saved. Well, once again, Paul wasn't having any of that. Paul said that he didn't submit to them even for one hour. Paul said, I wasn't hearing any of it. As soon as they said it, I was, Paul was totally against it because he knew what the truth of the gospel was. And there's evidence of that based on the fact that Titus wasn't circumcised. And so this guy was kind of like a test case, kind of there, you know, as he was there. You know, he came, oh, look, guys, I'm good, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, and so, uh, you know, so that's basically what... <laughs> That's basically what was going on. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, oh man, I'm going to lose it. And so, yeah, so, so, you know, Titus didn't go under this right. He didn't go under the law. And, uh, you know, and, and which shows you. So Paul basically, you know, once again, is defending his credentials as, as an apostle in his message. He said, yeah, guys, from the very beginning, I was with the apostles. And I took Titus with me. He was a Greek. And he didn't come back uh, under the law of Moses. And so, see, I stood my ground, and so I, I'm telling you, I'm a man of my word. I'm, this is what the Lord has. But also, Paul lets them know here that even the apostles had his back. Even the other Jewish apostles there in Jerusalem had Paul's back. Because Paul said that those who were of reputation, those who seemed to be something, it didn't add anything to me. In other words, they didn't add anything to my gospel that I was preaching. They didn't say, oh, yeah, Paul, by the way, you need to also do this. Paul said they didn't add anything to me. So they were all of one accord. They were all the same page. Now, before we move on to our next point, I want to point out a couple things. Often when reading this, it seems like Paul's being a little divisive here, right? Maybe he's being a little rude or disrespectful, but he's not. Paul's not being rude or disrespectful. And we know this because he shows respect by going privately to them first before the public meeting. But really what Paul is actually being is sarcastic. Paul has a good sense of humor. And that's what he is. He's being sarcastic with these Galatian believers because no doubt what they were hearing from the Judaizers were these terms. They were referring to the apostles in Jerusalem as those who are of reputation, the big guns kind of thing. They were referring to those, those guys as, as um, those guys which were something because, of course, they were appointed by Jesus 
you know, they were apostles appointed directly from the Lord. And Paul said, you know, that doesn't mean anything in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, God can, can gift any man. Also, second, it shows that the Catholic view of Peter being the first pope is wrong. God shows personal favoritism to no man. We're all sinners saved by grace, yet we all have different callings and functions. As we're going to see the next time we're together in Galatians, Paul's actually going to rebuke Peter because Peter's going to make a mistake. And so Paul actually shows authority operating not on who he is or who Peter is, but upon the word of God because the word of God is where the authority is, not upon a man or upon a church. And also, as we get towards the end of this passage, we see that Peter's primary ministry was to, go to, was to go to the Jews. And Paul's message was to go to the Gentiles. And I don't think that the Catholic Church is primary focuses on the Jews today. You know, I mean, you know, they believe that they actually replaced Israel. And so, and so a little different doctrine as you come to the Bible than, than what's taught in traditions of men um, kind of thing. And so, so we just reject that based upon what the Word of God teaches but back to our main point, from these verses we see that there is a unity in diversity, and it all surrounds the gospel of grace. You see, the world in which we live today wants unity at all costs. They want everybody to just get along. You can stick that coexist sticker on the back of your car and drive that Prius around all day, you know, but, you know, but nothing against Priuses, by the way. I wish my van got included gas mileage as that, but, you know, but it's, it's, it's unity at all costs. It's you know, it's pluralism, saying that everybody needs to believe the same exact thing, and we all need to agree, regardless of whether we disagree, like the Muslims say Jesus is not God, and we teach that Jesus is God, but we all just need to get along, we all just need to agree, we all need to say everybody's right, because we all need to love each other, and that's the basis of our unity, is love. And the Bible teaches something different. The Bible teaches that unity is based upon the essential doctrines of the faith, and upon the behavior of a Christian in the faith. That's what it's based upon. The Bible says if a person believes the gospel in the essentials of the gospel, well, then we need to have fellowship with that person because we're surrounded by the gospel. Also, the Bible says if a person is walking in the gospel and living a life in the gospel, well, then we should fellowship with that person. But on the other hand, the Bible says if a person rejects the gospel and they're teaching something contrary to the gospel, well, then we need to withdraw from that person. Or if a person is living a life of claiming to be a Christian, but yet living in a habitual lifestyle of sin, Paul says you need to withdraw from that person so that they would repent. And so the basis of our unity is always the gospel and upon living the word of God. And as we get closer to the rapture, we're going to have more and more and more falling away or a departure from the true biblical faith because the apostasy is going to happen when the rapture takes place. And the mystery of lawlessness, the Bible says, is already at work. You know, and so this thing, this, this departure, this move away from biblical doctrine and biblical behavior is going to be more and more and more as our kids grow up, as, as you and I serve the Lord. But we just need to stay strong in the gospel, stay strong in the word, and we'll have a strong unity. We'll be able to be effective in our ministry. It's been said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. Now, this brings us to our second point, verses 7 through 10. The basis of diversity in ministry must be the leading in the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on and says, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, Cephas is Peter, 
who, whom seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised or to the Jews. And so, once again, these guys were preaching the same gospel. They were preaching the same message, but nevertheless, they had different fields of ministry. They had different places where God wanted to place them and minister. Peter's ministry was primarily to the Jews. Paul's ministry was primarily to the non-Jews. Now, these guys preached the gospel to whoever here. We all know Paul's method. He would go into the city first. He would find the local Jewish synagogue. He would preach the gospel. They wouldn't receive it, and then he would go to the Gentiles. And Peter, he was primarily called to the Jews, but he had the keys of the kingdom. He went to you know, the Samaritans. He, he went to the house of Cornelius to preach the gospel, and he went to you know, the Gentiles, and so too. And so, I mean, so we're to preach the gospel to all people, and we're to seek to step out and see what the Lord will do, but ultimately, in the end, the Lord is going to have a specific ministry and a calling for us in our walk with him. We, we just need to discover that as we walk by faith. And these guys were discovering it, and it was being recognized by their believers. They said, yeah, it's clear that the hand of the Lord's in it. That the Lord, the same God is working effectively in Peter's life is also working in Paul's life too. We see that. It's evident. And they were encouraging them to, to walk in it. Now, it's important to point out in talking about diversity in ministry that the Bible teaches that the basis of that, especially in this text, is the work of the Lord and the hand of the Lord in leading. Why do I say that? Well, today it's popular to talk about pioneering a new work or, or having fresh vision to, you know, to just go out and just pioneering something totally different and new. And that's all fine and great. Praise the Lord, right, for that. But if a person's talking about doing that, they need to make sure that they're actually being led by the hand of the Lord and doing something new. Because if not... They're basically just being like the Judaizers who are just causing division, who are just trying to steal people from what God has already established and doing and trying to take them off to some new work because they're not content with the Bible or with the ways of God that he's already ministering and, and doing. And that's basically what was going on you know, there in, with the Judaizers. God was doing a work. He was blessing and ministering. Then here was these Judaizers. They were coming in just because they wanted to be different. They were causing division. So we need to be, be aware of that as well. Yes, God has given us a unique personality. He's given us, each one of us, unique gifts and callings. He's given us a place in the body, a unique place in the body. We need to make sure that we're being led by the Lord and serving the Lord, that we would keep the unity and continue to grow in, in, um, in, in what the Lord has for us to do. Now, not only did the church unite as one around the gospel, but they united as one around helping those who were in need. Look at verse 10. And they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. Of course, Paul was eager to do it because in chapter 11, he was used by the Lord to take this offering down to Jerusalem to help the poor believers who are suffering there. You see, as the body of Christ, we're to model Christ, our King and our Savior. The focus of Jesus was always his message first. As he came there in Mark chapter 2, as they lowered the paralytic down, he looked at him and said, son, your sins are forgiven you. He dealt with the greatest need first, which was his sin. He preached the gospel to him first. Jesus' basis was to preach the gospel, you know, that, that people would be born again, which is the greatest need. But the Lord also ministered through a heart of compassion, and he showed that compassion was important. He taught the great parable of the Samaritan, right, the good Samaritan, how you know, this man showed compassion and mercy. But also he showed us what it was to show compassion. As anybody who had a need that the Lord came in contact with, he would heal. 
He would bless. He would minister. Even when he was tired and the people were saying, man, take these people out of here. Get them away. We just need to rest for a while. And the Lord had compassion on them. He would feed them and, and, and he would minister to them and love them. And so as the body of Christ, as we're ministering in diversity and you know, as, as we're ministering in unity, as we're focused on the gospel, we must not neglect the fact that the Lord has us in this world to minister one to another as believers, but also to show compassion to those who are in need. And the apostles caught this. They understood this. Let me read to you one passage from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. And every time I read this passage, I'm like, wow. And it's just one of those verses that just hits hard and you know, makes us just think you know, about what the Lord wants us to do. It says, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And so John caught that, that vision from the Lord. He understood. John, he was all about the gospel, the word. We've handled him. We've touched him. We know him, we, the word of life. He was actively fighting against those folks who were denying the fact that the Son of God came in the flesh. But yet there was another aspect of his ministry, the fact that he understood that people were in need and the, true, and the love of God is not only expressed through the gospel, but it's also expressed in reaching out. And so we have a responsibility as Christians to reach out one to another, our brothers in need. And as the Lord leads, we are to reach out also to those who are out in the world to show the love of Christ. The way that we do this effectively is not by all trying to be the same person, but discovering the unique gifts, personalities, and talents, and, and resources that the Lord has given us, and then coming together as we spend time as the Church of Antioch did in prayer and in the Word, and allowing the Lord to direct us as a body, as a believer, to how he would have us to go out and preach the gospel and to minister. So what is the church? Is diversity, but we minister in unity. How do we do that? Through the flesh, only by the power of the Spirit.